0: In the following live session recording, Mike Ricks talks about what is really working in student ministry. How do we really make disciples? Everyone has an opinion, and many of us have heard the facts and stats. But in this breakout, the listener will hear about how to implement what is working to create lifelong followers of Christ. Let's join Mike now.
1: What is really working in Student Youth Ministry? Well, most parents agree on what is mandatory to be a good mom or a dad, okay? Now, if we took a poll in here, um, we might get some of these answers. Loving, supporting, protecting, encouraging. Moms and dads, as you can see there, are pretty close in what they agree on. Okay, so yesterday, seeing the protecting thing happening. Yesterday, my oldest son, Mac, was playing in a football game and um, he got hit late. Okay, so y'all know where I'm going with this. It's 96 degrees, I'm sitting in the stands, he gets late, hit hits late, and he's laying on the turf, and everybody in the field is taking a knee, and um, some dad down the bleachers begins to holler, get up, get up. Okay, how do you think I want to respond to that? <laughs> Okay, well, the good news is, is that his wife or somebody told him to shut up, so I didn't, ha- I didn't have to go out there, down there pulverize him. But uh, yeah, the protecting dad, I was like, uh-oh. And
0: I could tell
1: from my vantage point, the way my son was responding, that, that it was not a head injury. And uh, anyway, everything's fine. It's, everything's fine, just hurt, he hurt his leg, but he should be back first of next week. But man, I, I feel that protecting thing just rising up in, you know, uh, I remember when my son was born and holding my arms and thinking, I am not going to let anything hurt this child, you know? and I want, and I am an encouraging person by nature, and I want to do everything I can to encourage my dad. So I can agree with all these. Uh, understanding, involved, trusting, teaching, again, moms and dads staying pretty close in proportion there to what they say is important. Uh, Now we're going to get a little separation here. Tender providing, uh, consistent, fun, admitting mistakes, generous. Now look, now we get down to religious and only 31% of dads think that this is um, important, uh, mandatory to be a good parent. Religious is only 31% and committed Christian is only 26%, okay? Only 29% say faith is the most important influencer on their parenting. Now on your handout there, uh, I have some statistics I want to throw at you. 83% of parents say they should be the most responsible for their child's spiritual development. 83% of adults say that. Now I'm to ask you a question. And this, I don't mean this to be as convicting as it's gonna sound, but I'm just gonna say it and then we, I apologize later. okay? <clears throat> hey, do you, are, are you familiar with that Alabama symbol there? You know that thing on the back is? What is it? A mullet, that's pretty good, <laughs> huh? <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little ADD. Um, so, so anyway, 29% of, of people say that this is the most important factor of parents say they should be responsible for their spiritual development of their child but only 29% say that faith is the most important influence is that is that is that crazy or is that just me Um, 48% don't consider faith among the most important influences on parenting okay so I'm the one who's responsible for the development but I don't really think faith is important that, that blows me away, that blows me away. And it probably, probably it blows me away because that was the major important thing to me. My parents would say things to me like, listen, grades are important, athletics are important, you being liked is important, but the most important thing in your life is are you loving and serving the Lord Jesus? okay now that's that was my mom and my dad that was the way i was raised i would walk out the door and my dad would say to me hey mike remember the lord okay listen to this i'm going on a spring break trip with a bunch of high school guys okay uh, i think they invited me to go because i was a designated driver okay so i'm walking out the door <clears throat> And okay, maybe we told my dad a little lie about where we were going. We told him we were going to a lake house. I am walking out the door to get in the car to go and the guy said, hey Mike, we're not going to the lake house, we're going to Savannah. But don't tell your parents, don't tell your parents because they'll tell our parents i was a pretty good kid growing up and i mean I was, I was serious about my faith but even at that time i remember like i can't tell my mom and dad because they will definitely so i got in the car and went with them but i can remember very clearly as i was walking by the cars by dad said hey mike hey guys y'all remember the lord okay dad i'm not lying to you right now we're gonna get in the car and i'm not even lying i'm going down the road to the fishing place okay so um woo felt really convicted about that, as you can imagine. But that's the kind of father that I have. One night, <clears throat> that I have, one night I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard the TV on downstairs. And I thought, I need to go down there and investigate this noise. And and I just, why is the TV on at four o'clock in the morning? So I walked downstairs and opened the door to the kitchen and den area. And there at the table, was not TV on, but my father reading the Bible and praying out loud. Okay, reading the Bible and praying out loud. Those types of things make a big influence on them. You know, they just do. And yet, 29% say that faith. Uh, only 29% say that faith is the most important thing in their family. I really believe that in youth ministry, in youth ministry, the most important thing we can do is to help parents realize the importance of their role as disciples of their children. Now I know that creates problems because we have a lot of drop-off kids. We have a lot of parents who are not connected to their faith. This statistic says you know it's something like um, 71 percent don't think faith is the most important thing in the development of a child. Uh, So we but anything we can do to tweak that number anything we can do to help parents realize that they that they are the primary breadwinner so to speak to speak they are the ones encouraging students to grow in their faith anything we do there it's going to be a great benefit to these kids and 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 really will work and get the job done and use them so i do a little bit of coaching Right now, I'm coaching my youngest son, Jack, who's 12 years old. And um, when my when we started, when I started coaching, uh, I noticed that the players whose parents coached them at home, taught them how to play um, football at home, were so much better than the kids whose parents just brought them to pro- practice and dropped them off. Okay. Head and shoulders, I mean, the difference was phenomenal. And my son, Mac, my oldest, he was the kid that wanted to get out in the yard and run drills every day. Hey dad, I know it's 150 degrees out there in the shade, but can we go out there and and set up some combs and just run some drills? So literally, we would set up combs and he would run drills and I would time him running the drills. And then I would take the football down said hut and just toss sweep to the right around the calm to the left around the calm, to the I mean, on and on and on and on we would go. Now my youngest son, Jackie's like, hey, I'm gonna be in here watching Hogan Heroes, okay? On the me television, the old folks, I'm, he would never, I mean, he, he might come out there and help us set up the congs, but he was just not into it. But my youngest, my oldest son, and so when we got to football practice for the first time, it was amazing how much how much better he was than other kids because he could. I mean, he knew the place, he knew everything. He just could just go. The same thing, spiritually speaking. I mean, if we nurture our kids at home and help our kids develop at home, when they get in that church world, those spiritual leaders of the church are going to help them that much more go to the next level. They're coming off that solid foundation and just advance, advancing up. <clears throat> Uh, I know you've seen this in your youth ministry, that parents who pour spiritually into their children are so much farther ahead than the kids that just come in um, with very little. <clears throat> the church and the Bible rank low on this where, where Americans are looking for parenting advice. 91% um, of what they experienced growing up. Okay, so experience is our teacher about how to be a parent. 65% look at their parents for advice 62% their friends, their spouse, the sacred text is 46, church is 43. Um, <clears throat> so, so Lifeway and Jana says we're chasing the wrong things. Few American parents and what they define as uh, spiritual or few American parents include their kids' godliness or faith in their definition of successful parenting so here's some things that are involved in successful parenting my child has good values my child becomes a happy adult my child finds success in life my child is a good person my child graduates from college Uh, my child lives independently my child's faith Uh, my child is godly or has faith in God 9% that's kind of shocking
2: it's
1: kind of shocking that it's that low. You with me? Does that seem low to you guys? About right, low? Low? Sadly, no. Sadly not? No. Yeah. yeah. Now, in, in, in your church, are most of your kids drop off kids or? No, most of them have at least one parent. Really? Would you say that a lot of the parents are involved in, in nurturing those kids in, in, in faith or are they just? Um, at some level,
2: uh, we definitely do more, but there, um, uh, it's more of
3: that's that's the church's responsibility. My job is to bring them to church. I do
1: that. I'm to do that. that's mm-hmm. that. At home, it's not so much. Okay. Yeah. So my job is to bring them to church. Your job is to clean them up, make them good. Okay. Does anybody else feel that way? Yeah. Oh, just ask a question here, okay? okay. And I think I started this down the road a few minutes ago. Do you think that we have fostered that idea? I'm getting yeses. How so? Uh, We created the, that come to you first. Okay. Come to us and let us tell you everything that you need to know. Okay. I mean, that, you know, there's, but I mean, that's, that's the way that I was taught how to do this. You
2: get them in there, however
1: you. You get them in here.
2: Pack the room, yeah. preach the gospel,
1: and then take the teacher everything that
2: you do. But I found out, because I've been doing this, I mean, for a couple of weeks now. Uh, and I've been doing it for
1: a while. Did you have hair when you started? Man,
2: <laughs> it was. It was the best hair. You
1: know, <laughs> I missed my hair. It looked like,
2: it looked like black stain. Oh, really? That's it when you had a baby. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, but for real, like for real. I, what I found out is that I I'm really good at discipling, like straight discipling. Maybe three or four or uh, Anything more than that, and I'm just. Crowd control. control right? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and you're trying to do this airborne thing and, and be effective, but your true effectiveness is really. Good.
1: Others, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Does anybody else feel that way that you're really good? Yes, ma'am. No, I was just
0: saying yes. Yes, okay, <laughs>
1: yeah. Does anybody else feel that way that you're really good with three or four, but after that, it's kind of...
0: Well, it's it's to me, it's 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 making a personal investment in in what we call ministry. So it's more than just. I mean, obviously. If you're in student ministry, you have responsibilities to teach Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, or whatever that might look like. And so to take it beyond that, standing in front of a youth group and teaching and preaching, but making that personal investment in the life of it. And I think when we look at, at the, the model or the example we have, we look at Jesus that, you know, I mean, he taught. That's true. That's true. But he poured into
1: yeah, that's always been reassuring to me, you know, because I know that okay, these four over here, I'm really giving a lot to these four, and I can see growth, I can see development in these people, I can see leadership developing, I can see spiritual uh, passion developing, and then there's the crowd that I'm not necessarily. And I had a I had a wise pastor when I started youth ministry. He said, "Your job is not to." Your job is not to build disciples, to build students. Your job is to build a team. That you need to build a team, and then they will have their four, and, and, and you can have your four, and that'll be eight. And, or you can have another one, and then you'll have 12. And I heard Steve Parr, um, whose book's phenomenal, by the way, while they stay, he said that when he started in youth ministry, he took his group, as large as he could get it, And then he realized that he could go no bigger than that. And the only way he was gonna go bigger is if he added adults, team leaders. And that's when his group continued to grow. It's when he added people. I've heard all kinds of statistics. I heard that one youth pastor could handle 16 kids, effectively. And I've heard one youth pastor could handle six, five, four uh, kids. And, and everybody that number is probably unique to you, but you need to determine you need to determine, okay, if it's discipleship I'm looking for, is it one to four, the ratio I need to get? or is it one to six the ratio I need to get? And then you need to train leaders so that you can, so that you can grow your ministry's discipleship base. So just me and a couple of people could probably handle a slip and slide with 30 kids. And we could probably slap high fives with 30 kids and love them and encourage them for that event but if i'm going to disciple those kids then we're going to break into small group and have some prayer time and and i'm going to get to know those kids a little bit one-on-one that night then it's you know, we got 32 kids then i'm probably going to need six of me eight of me plus some folks to do the refreshments you know so um, one of the key factors in growing your discipleship and growing youth ministry is adding team members Doug Fields says that great teams just don't evolve that they have to be trained and um, I remember so vividly to the all-stars at our church decided they want to be a part of our youth ministry team. And they came to me and they said Mike, we want to be uh, we want to be youth workers. We want to help you on Wednesday night. I said that's phenomenal. you know." And um, so what do we do? And I said well y'all can just come down there and hang out with students. And they said but we need something to do. And I said oh you'll love it. Just come down there and hang out with students. So for two weeks they came down there and they hung out in the back of the room like this. And then after The second week they came to me and said hey you know what they've asked us to come serve in children's ministry or we're going to go keep the nursery jeffrey they left me man they just took off and left me because they didn't have anything to do and i had you know but but i've I've learned that you have to give adults have to give adults a job description you have to give them something tangible to do and once they get into the act of ministry then they can discover okay it's very valuable for me just to hang out and talk to the student but for someone who that's not a part of their dna they need a task be it straightening chairs or or taking out the trash or setting up the projector or arranging games or whatever it may be if you want to grow your youth ministry you've got to grow your adults and if you grow your adults then you have to give them have to give them specific tasks and job descriptions or or they'll just kind of lose heart and lose interest. That's my experience. What do you see? Yeah? Kind of, sort of, maybe? So,
4: what does the, the statistics show as far as if you got, how many adults uh, per kid?
0: Per Let's
4: kid? Let's say you
1: got 20 kids in your youth group, or 40 kids, say 40. 40? How many adults would it
2: take
4: to, just
1: statistically they say anywhere from uh, one to five, okay? One to five, so that'd be eight adults. Now some will go a lot higher. Some will say 16, you need, that you need one you need one, um, one adult for every 16 kids. But I prefer the one to five, one to six model. I'd say it, it, it depends a lot on
2: the makeup of your group too. Sure.
1: Which can change from year to year. You know,
2: we've, we've had like, Senior heavy high school heavy groups that were a little more independent. We can trust it a little bit more so the ratio increased, you know, one to eight, one to nine, something like that. And then we, like right now, we're super young. Yeah, we're super young. So I mean, I've got just about as many adults as I do kids sometimes on Wednesday nights. Oh, yeah. Just to to make sure, and it's, it's not so much crowd control, it's just. You know, when you break into a small group, you want to make sure that you've got somebody that's keeping them on the pass. And pour it into an love it on the team you don't need to drill sergeant.
1: All right.
0: But you've got to have, you know, you've got to have that, that interaction. Yes, sir. And just to piggyback off of that, and I think you know this is probably where you're headed, but I've never heard this statistic until the summer I uh, took our group to, uh, Nashville and we attended Infuge Belmont. Okay. And so, um, you know, it was in, in a group with a bunch of youth pastors and they were talking about adults pouring into students and, and they shared a, a statistic of something like 68%. When you're talking about retention, 68% of teenagers uh, remain connected to the life of the church when they have two or three of our adults, other than their parents and their pastor, they have two to three other adults speaking into their life and making investment. Right. And so I, I took that back and shared that with my like eight or ten that just hang out there in the youth building and and hang out with the kids and go to their games and and whatever and like guys what you're doing is important. It is. You know it's more than to you it might be oh well, I'm gonna go hang out at a baseball game tonight. Uh, or I'm going to go watch a basketball game, but, but you're having a significant impact on the life of someone. Oh, most definitely. What was that statistic? Do you remember it? It was, it was one that was shared through LifeWay. I've got it okay. in my office. I could shoot that to you in an email or something. If it's, if it's the one I'm, I'm thinking of. I uh, think it's like 68%.
1: Yeah, I think, or I think a, a child, an adult, is a, when they surveyed adults who were growing in their faith, Sixty-eight percent of them had had at least three uh, Christians in a church pouring into them when they were teenagers, which is phenomenal. Now, here's a statistic that I heard um, recently that uh, they interviewed they interviewed seminary students, and of seminary students, they had they had on average eight to nine adults that were investing in them. When they were in t- teenage years, is not that phenomenal that they would it's look phenomenal. at that statistic? So they had eight or nine adults that were pouring into them, and if sixty-eight percent are still faithful in church, they had three adults pulling into them, which I think is I think it's wonderful. You know, having adults that are intentionally investing in children is just phenomenal. Had a very sad thing happen. Oh, if it is answering your question, if we went on a retreat. I would try to have uh, at least one adult for every eight students. One adult for every eight students. Um, and then I would always try to have uh, a ratio where I always had at least two ladies and always two, two men. And then I didn't count myself. So if we were taking 32 people, then I had, I had at least four adults. Uh, and then when we took mixed groups, high school and middle school, then I, then I said, okay, how many middle schoolers do we have? And I had that ratio one to six, and then how many high schoolers do we have? I had that ratio a little higher at one to ten, um, but so it just kind of what number seems to work best for you after a while. Um, let's roll on. I got a lot of material to cover.
2: <clears throat> how do
1: Christians? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So when I say adults intentionally pouring into uh, to students. Here, here's some questions that I use, okay, to a to a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. Uh, I say, okay, do you know their names? Do you know the names of the kids in your group? Okay, it's phenomenal how many Sunday school teachers I talk to, they don't know all the names of the students in their group. First thing you tell, I tell a Sunday school pl- class to do a small group leader, get a roster of all the kids. Okay, see, so, so do, do you know their? Do you know do you know their names? Yes or no? Um, do you know their? Um, do you know their life? So who's mom, who's dad, who they're living with, what they involved in at school, just the generalities of their life. Do you know their life. Do you know their story? What makes them hurt? What they're passionate about? Where they are in their faith journey. You know. And then the next question is: Do Nate? Do they? Do you know if they know the Lord? Okay. Not look at you and say, "Yes, I know Jesus is my Savior," but they can describe to you what it means to be lost and found, what it means to be a follower of Christ. So when I'm talking to leaders about how to pour into adults or to pour into students, I go through that series of questions. Um, do you know their name? Do you know their life? Do you know their story? And do you know where they are spiritually speaking? And then you begin to ask the questions of faith. You know, How is your walk with the Lord? You know, what kind of things do you do for a quiet time? And, and it probably sounds more natural when you're having a conversation than, than, than what the I'm presenting, but uh, what kind of things do you like to read? What kind of music do you like? Well, how do you feel like <clears throat> one of the kids that I'm close to likes Chance the Rapper? Does anybody know Chance the Rapper? Chance the Rapper's, a lot of his music is real spiritually based. It's off flow, got about F word about every six words, you know? So it's just kind of one of those things It's like, uh, and then boom so really really and so okay so we need to talk about this so we you know so we talk about music and we talk about um what his friends are doing and we talk about what his quiet times are like and those kind of things if i say poured into a student that's that's what i mean um, i mean that if he's involved in basketball that i'm going to a basket at least one basketball game during the season letting him know i'm there letting him know I care uh, I may not send him a birthday card because I'm not really a card person. I'll try to shoot him a text the week of his birthday and say, hey, I know your birthday was yesterday. Sorry, I missed it. Just don't um, know in their life. That kind of stuff. Is there anything you guys or girls wanna to add to that? I had this group of four guys that I met with for breakfast. And, um, excuse me, three guys that I met with for breakfast. And two of the three had quit coming to church. They were seniors they came on special events days, okay? And that's all they came. But they were so faithful to come to Tuesday morning Bible study. I mean, one of them came to church, and the other two didn't. And I would would beg and plead, and they just didn't come. They would tell me they're coming, they wouldn't come, they'd come every once in a while. But they were so faithful to come on Tuesday morning. And they just continued to grow in their faith, but it was kind of separate from one of them finally left our church and got plugged into another church where he had more friends. Um, but just that consistently walking with them, talking through these questions. See a lot of developing growth there. We're probably about halfway through right now. Does anybody else have any questions? I guess it's follow-up
2: that question. Okay. So, yeah, that makes sense, but I think what we need
1: to run into a lot is that parents sort of do that as your responsibility to help us.
2: Oh, yeah, most like, definitely. I mean, like, it's your job, my child and to grow up like scripture
1: to just into the like, parents responsibility parent. exactly. to, to
2: the primary things and sort child's life. So we have a lot of parents that are like, well you don't invest in my kid. Well first of all your kid doesn't want really to invest in to take that problem. Yep. But then also like there's a lot of youth in our and I like I can't personally invest in everything. Right. So like you're gonna have part entertaining kids who don't have parents <laughs> 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 and both. Um, so I guess
1: it is adding more adults to the now that is a great question that's a great question I started this by saying it's the parent's responsibility we want to transfer this responsibility back to the parents and in the same another half of my mouth I'm saying we need to in, in, invite more adults to join us in this model of discipleship so how do y'all see that how do you see that playing out how do you see that working there's a tension there.
2: There's a tension there between, you know, because mm-hmm. we're quick we're to swing the pendulum one way or the other. Sure, sure. I mean, we're all extremists in everything that we say. You know, you're either an open-order guy or you're a, you know, um, What right. you hate. Exactly, right. So, <clears throat> so I think that there's a, there's a tension there, and it's a... You have to develop a plan where you are... Where doing just as much disciple of parents yeah. as you are students, and making sure that in the end or until you get that education level of your parents, um, that you're not just letting the kids go by the wayside, right. um, yes, it is the parents' responsibility, but nobody in here would walk past the babies and front of the doorstep, and yeah. the I'd say that it's the parents responsibility to take care of their child, we don't, become. sure I'm going to a the best of I think we've
3: got to be a real, I mean, those parents that we can pour into that are going to pour in their kids, the reality says that probably 75% of those parents were not. Right. We, we feel the one, the 25% that can't. We have to, we have to pour into those other, the other kids that have the 75% of the parents that I can. Have up to training sessions to try to help them with, to, to be better parents. We're all come, you know. So when you have that, you know they're not getting it then. And that's when you just have to I mean, do it right. right. Okay, you know. What I mean, just look at it realistically. I mean, those that you can, by all means, you know, have those. But and this the other question,
2: we're talking about parents in the church, right?
4: So why aren't they? That is my question. Yeah, I think it goes back to the part of those to the adults know what discipleship is. So if they're not discipling their kids, it's probably because they themselves have not been discipled. And so and that's what I was like. I wish I had the time to be an adult and as a youth pastor, right? To be able to cover all into the spectrum because that's what I find is a lot of the parents that are drop-off parents aren't staying. Or anything we offer, they're not coming to the adult Bible studies. And honestly, because I think you get arrogant and you think, oh, church is good, they need that because they're a kid, but I'm an adult, I'm dealing with my adult stuff. I don't need that. Oh yeah. I'm mature. And so then they don't get discipled. So they don't know how to disciple, and they think, oh, you pastor, that's their job. That's their job. Yeah. And so then, yeah, and it's a I can think
3: there's a point where we can't do it all takes minutes for that. I mean one, one good thing that I've the situation I'm in now I I actually Sunday school I'm not even in there with my kids. I teach them the go class. I teach the youth's parents. So you know the youth the the youth that have parents in the church are in my Sunday school class so I'm able to pour into them. And it's, it's really helped with the ones that I've had in there. Now granted I don't have all of the parents that you know, but uh, it's it's enabled me to develop a relationship with them as well as me being able to pour into them. And then, you on, know, Sunday mornings I come up with them and I'm I'm up there with the students in the beginning and I actually move my Sunday school classes <laughs> right off of the youth major meeting room. You know, I took so a room you do both. Huh? So I, I yeah. and I'm here and i tell my parents I'll be in here as soon as I get done with them and yeah. i will with them and I'm in here with me. So it's good. And it's just a way that I can kind of hit both spectrums. It's, it's, you have the parents as well. I mean, because, again, they they do think they, they think their discipling is bringing the church and nothing exactly. more with us. They think that's their
1: their their job is completed at that point. So I, I'm I'm going to skip through pathos those slides and just show you this because it kind of helps us in that what spiritual activities the kids um, are doing most um, regularly attending Sunday school. Attend vacation Bible school, attend youth group, participate in church act- social activities, attend children's worship, attended camps, regularly served at church, participated in church mission trips. Okay, so what activities are kids normally doing? The vast, the largest majority of kids are uh, are, are an attendance-based model. Twenty-nine, Only 29% regularly read the Bible, 28 regular, 28% regular spend time in prayer. Um, church-related activities top the chart, while personal spiritual activities rank at the bottom. And, and the blank there on your page, kids participate in church-related activities, but only a fraction develop spiritual, personal spiritual disciplines. Kids participate in church activities, but Kids participate in church activities, church-related activities, but only a fraction develop um, lasting personal spiritual disciplines. And so that kind of brings us back to this whole idea of parents see their obligation is to bring children and drop them off, but more, even, even in that, more and more parents are feeling like, you know what, we went this morning, so I'm not gonna take them back tonight. Or we went last Wednesday, and so the average attendance now, the average attendance has gone to once a month. Whereas we used to complain that students gave us one hour a week. Now we're finding that a lot of students, a lot of parents are only bringing their, their child once a month. There was one, there was one family um, that was a part of our church and they came on record 19% of the time. Now the odd thing about that was is they gave Um, They supported activities, they supported our big events, but they came about one in five, um, one out of five Sundays that they were there, and they considered themselves fully involved in a part of the church. Isn't that phenomenal? What out of five? Um, I really felt like they were not involved in the ministry, and I kind of had a little chip on my shoulder towards them, okay? But they were participating at a level that they felt like they were really, really involved. Which, um, anyway, it's just kind of interesting to me that that was the case. So folks are coming to church on what they consider to be a regular basis, but very few are developing spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits. This is a list of things that might surprise you that didn't make the list of significant factors in why a kid stayed plugged into his faith as a young adult. Here are some of these. Families ate meals together. Families went on vacations. Church size, um, the choice between home school, public school, Christian school, didn't seem to play any effect on how many kids were still involved. Child's playing sports, jobs, that didn't seem to make any difference. But the five influencers of spiritual health, these are the things that life would we determine with the 15 greatest influencers of spiritual health. The number one answer, the Sunday school answer, the children readily read their Bible while growing up. Okay, walking away winner here, personal discipline reading the Bible. Number two is prayer. Go ahead and give it away. Number one, does that surprise you? Make it
2: your
1: responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Well, and um, for a child to do be doing that, or parents Probably. Probably, yeah. Probably. Um, and, and that's. So a parent probably introduced them at some point. A parent probably found that they had helped them have an age appropriate Bible. Uh, there's a lot of things that parents can do to encourage. Bible reading, and that's two of the factors. Introducing the kids to the Bible, making sure the kids have an age-appropriate Bible, a Bible they can easily read. Uh, largest impact. You know, and, and the largest, um, the best thing that we can do as youth workers, as youth leaders, is to have a spiritual, uh, a vibrant, growing faith. And, and this is a determining factor. Are we daily spending time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer? Are our volunteers pouring into the Word of the Lord? Um, what do we think? Yes or no? It's difficult.
2: Faith comes back here and here about the Word of God. Okay. They're constantly being pressured to conform. Outside sure. the world, right? But, but we all know that yeah, yeah, the only way to faith is that the are going to do it is if you're consuming, taking the same Jesus and our relationship with Jesus. Jesus. But, I mean, For us, we have to be like the examples. Exactly. Everybody in here knows firsthand before 12. Like, how many of us have taught that, right? The kids. Don't well, let anybody despise you. But but, uh, set an
1: example. So
2: we have
1: to be the example of this to love Right. We have to be the Now let me ask you this question. How many of you have known someone in your life? It doesn't have to be now. Maybe it was earlier. Maybe it is now. And they just they've got a a love for the Bible. I mean they are all in all in. You, yeah we've all got somebody like that in our life you know and when you're around them and they're talking about the bible it just oozes out of them now there's always the phonies and you're like you know what
0: nah <laughs> i know i know you know um
1: third the first hoboken
0: oh yeah i hope that's my favorite
2: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> um you know but those people they, they just there was this young lady who was uh working in our church and her comment to students was Tell me, what, tell me what Jesus is, is, is talking to you about lately. What are you reading in the Word lately? Those were her first statements to students when she would see them. Okay? Not necessarily the first thing out of my mouth, but that was hers. And it was amazing the conversations over the course of the summer that I heard her have with students. Now, first, when she started asking the question, tell me what the Lord's been showing you in your quiet time lately, it was like, uh, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Some, you know, they didn't have anything. But, but but, as she continued to ask that question, the give and take there just grew, grew. As she expressed her delight in the Bible, students took interest and began to join her in that. Now, I don't know how many of you um, are like me in that preparation time um I've always been told that my preparation time and my devotion time need to be separate. Okay, I have never been good at that. Okay, Confession time, I have never been good at that. Right now in Sunday school, we're studying the book, book of Ephesians, book of Ephesians. All this week, you know where my quiet time has been? Trick you. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't either. It has been the book of Ephesians. Okay. I, I'm just engrossed. I mean, I am loving the book of Ephesians right now. and. That's where I am, man. I'm just, I'm just loving it. So I'm not always good at separating that, but I want to be always good at being in the Word. Okay. Now, I'm reading a book. Well, I just finished it, uh, called Atomic Habits. anybody heard of that book? Yep. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, And one of the things that he emphasizes is when you develop strong habits in your. In your life never miss twice so if you fail today don't beat yourself up but never never miss twice okay if you forget to if you forget he talks about Jerry Seinfeld writing a joke every day don't break the chain he talks about different people um, who, who do certain things every day to improve in an area and their whole thing is don't break the chain but if you break the chain, don't break it two times in a row. Yeah. <clears throat> now I um, was fortunate about 15 years ago to be in a small group discussion with Francis Chan. From you. Okay. Wow. Uh, there were about 150 people in this small group discussion and um, yeah, and he and his family were at this table and it was all of us sitting out here. And I was one of the people that called on for a question. And I said, um, Francis, what is, your, what is your morning like? What is your spiritual, um, what is your devotion time like? What does it look like for you? And he said, you know, typical Francis Chan voice, you know, I would like to tell you that every morning I get up at five in the morning and I look in the Bible, but you know, sometimes I just forget and I sleep in and I feel terrible, but I try to do it every day, but sometimes it doesn't happen every day. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's indicative of all of us. You know, we try to be faithful, but, but we just need to be consistent. We just need to be consistent. We need to be consistent. I heard one person say, hey, sometimes I'm five minutes, sometimes I'm 30 seconds, and then sometimes I'm three hours. But just being consistently in the Word. If we're developing a passion for the Word, then the people that we serve will see that in us, and they will hunger for that. When you know someone is experiencing a love relationship with the Lord and growing in that, there is nothing more attractive than than when you see a couple that's first engaged and you're like, wow, I remember that feeling. When you see someone who is just passionately in love with the Lord and reading that word, as we're growing in that and manifesting that and showing that, our leaders will benefit from that and grow with us, and so will the students. Not surprised here. Sunday school answer, number one answer reading the Bible. Moderate impact, significantly less than reading the Bible every day. Children regularly spent time in prayer. Children regularly served in church while growing up. Children listened primarily to Christian music. Children participated in a ch- church mission trips or projects. Okay? Um. Amen. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, when we start talking about youth group activities in just a minute, I want to ask you, are these things incorporated into our structures? Are we telling students how to have a Bible reading plan in their life? Are we telling people how to have that devotion every day? Are we showing them, are we teaching them? Are we holding them somewhat accountable? Are we giving opportunities for kids to serve regularly in church? Are we teaching them what it means to pray? Okay, Jesus had to teach the disciples how to pray, and the disciples were following Jesus around. Lord, teach us to pray, okay? Lord, teach us to pray. Well, they're following Jesus. I get to hear Jesus pray, but they're still asking for Jesus to teach and pray. Are we spending time teaching them to pray? Um, Christian music. You know, when I was a kid, it was really pushed from the pulpit and from youth ministry circles. Hey, listen to Christian music. Listen to Christian music. But I think that we, and in, 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 uh, lately, we've kind of come away from that. And it's really significant to me that Lifeway and this research says that people who listen to Christian music are more likely, as a child, are more likely to be walking in the faith as young adults. That's significant. Uh, I really like that. Uh, And then children participate in mission trips and mission projects. Why do you think that is, mission projects?
2: It's life.
1: It's life, ain't it, all right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, for us, taking our kids to Nashville is like a culture shock from Alma, Georgia, to, to be in our city and see people who don't live the exact way they do okay. or act the exact same way they do. Their okay. scenario or situations different. All right. So how does that affect faith?
1: That yeah. question is wide open anybody? anybody. So when you take your kids from home to somewhere new, how's that how is that a catalyst for faith? Pardon me? Okay? Fuels worship. Okay? So it fuels that that, that tension with the Lord, that closeness to the Lord, alright? You grow up struggle. You grow up being put in a situation which you're out.
3: Oh, yeah. Um, that's where the Lord, where it impacts you, yeah. it's not
1: just hearing and learning, it's, it's doing, it's putting it all into the situation. When you see God show up in times like that, yeah. I was talking to this young man recently who was going on a mission trip and he felt, he really felt like God was calling him to go on this mission trip. And the cost of the mission trip was like outrageous, okay? And it's one of those costs that that if some, a kid told me that God called him to go this trip and he had to raise this much money, I would say, bless you, my brother. You know what I mean? I, I mean, whatever, dude. <laughs> yeah, but but he, but, he, but his prayer was, Lord, if if this is a part, if this is really what you want me to do, you help me raise this money. y'all." Oh, and he raised $17,000 in six weeks. No. Isn't that phenomenal? A South Georgia Wow! Well, I'm just like, okay, I think the Lord was in that. I'm not sure, but I'm thinking might. and but but he saw that. He saw. He's putting himself out there, and the Lord is answering his prayer. You know, when a kid is standing on a playground in Nashville or Wisconsin where we went, and he's talking to this this student who is living on an Indian reservation about Jesus and about his struggles. Man, that's 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 a catalyst for growing in that relationship with the Lord. So we take students out of their comfort zone and take them to these mission places where they are now a part of the work. You know, they're part of the team. They're no longer sitting in the back, second string, third string. They are first string out there serving the Lord. I think when you them take a trip. You know,
2: whether
4: it be third world or in the state somewhere, and it gives them the opportunity. A C mission that gives an the opportunity to see what goals
1: do. I I agree. Agreed. Oh, so I can be
4: experienced, you know, like you know, like, like this is what what's called me to do big mission. Yeah. To be able to do experience is a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. See other people. How small as we are, most of our
1: kids are going to to see what they do. I wish that I would have kept count of how many kids I took on mission trips who later served in some sort of mission role. Yeah. And the eye-opening experience that it is they see okay maybe I can do this maybe I can do this here's another factor I thought about too when I go on a mission trip I always connect with people that I don't connect with at, at the house you know so there's a senior we, we were we were redoing this barn for it we were redoing this place for a church helping a member of a church in Wisconsin and now there were two men on that Uh, Trip that I never interacted with in our church, and now here we are interacting. So here's this student interacting with these two grown men, you know, and he and and they're teaching them, and there's there's that relationship that starts. And we already know we've already heard about how being connected to other adults in your church is vital to experiencing life change and long-term life change, and is fostered on mission trips like that. Anything else before we slide on to the next one? Phenomenal, phenomenal. All right. Smallest impacts. These things had some effect. Not much attention. Not as much as the last two. There's a gap for each one. Uh, child's best friend was an influencer to follow Christ for growing up. Child is a female. Child connected with several adults in church who were intentionally invested in them. Now you see that's number four there. Uh, it fell down far on this list, but on other lists like this, it's way up there. In my personal experience, number four there, Children Connect. This is low on the list, smallest impact. But in my personal life, my experience is high. Other surveys have it high. I don't know why it fell so low on this one. Um, parents typically ask forgiveness when they mess up. Parents pointed out biblical principles in everyday life. Uh, child had siblings. Those are some smaller um, factors. So here's some more m- more statistics about people a, and and reading the Bible. But I want to skip ahead to um, the next page here. So Steve, Pard, why they they stay. Um, Students who had the high high view of scripture, students who um, whose church presented a high view of scripture, churches, parents, uh, anyone that helped a student have a high view of scripture, the student ended up with a high view of scripture, they were 84% more likely to be in church as a young adult than students who had a lesser view of uh, scripture. Uh, while they stayed, they participated in youth camps. I, I think that's beautiful. Uh, they connected with the church, within six months of their high school graduation. They connected with their senior pastors. It, it's more important for a youth growing up to have a relationship with his senior pastor than it is for him to have a relationship with his youth pastor. That's a strange uh, coincidence or, or, uh, or something that they found out in, in these surveys, but um, Steve's right across the hall. He can probably tell you more about it. Um, and this, I found this very interesting, too. It made a difference in it, if a kid was involved in church as a young adult, connected with the church as an adult. If his daddy went to church, that was a significant thing. But if his mom and his dad were both in the church and both serving, then it was off the chart, the likelihood that that child would still be remaining in church. Okay, so if mama was serving in church, not a big determinant. Mama went to church, not a big determinant. Daddy went to church, a little better chance for the kid. Mom and daddy are both in the church and both serving, off the chart. Off the chart.
0: <clears throat> okay,
1: so. <clears throat> um, parent ministries. Okay, well, what's really working? What's really working? I and P, okay? That's what we're looking for now. Maximum impact, moderate impact, also ran smallest impact. What is really working? Intentional programming. Intentional programming. Now, what do I mean by this? Taking these things we talked about today and working them into our programs. The mission component. What do we really like about missions? Students are being tried and tested in their faith. What do we like about this camp experience? Students are bonding with adults. Students are bonding with others. Students that have faith. Students are experiencing life change through reading the Bible. All the things that are pointed out in these surveys, we need to cultivate those and push those into our activities. Does that make sense? Okay, so the other day I went to a youth event, and it was a big, I've already mentioned it, a big slip and slide they were doing at our church. And there were a number of adults out there that were Sunday school teachers and different <laughs> um, different workers in the church and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Phenomenal. Awesome experience to see those, see those people out there standing there holding the water hose, watching those kids slide, serving those kids. What are some things with these practical um, things? what, What are some things that that youth pastor could do to that slip and slide to make it more intentional towards building disciples that are going to stay in church? That's a big extreme to think about. Okay, here's a couple I thought of. What if he invited some of those students to help him set up and tear down the slip-and-slide? So he, now he's got adults out there helping him set up and tear down, and he's got teenagers out there helping him set up and tear down. So now those students are serving other students, and he makes a, he makes a big deal about, hey, thank you for helping me serve these kids. Okay? What's some of the things they could do? Yes ma'am. Maybe like
2: give like
0: a small price or something and they bring a friend or invite
1: somebody that's not in church. Okay. Very good. So he's he's putting ministry in their hands. Yeah. This is a little idea I had. So there was about six or eight adults standing around this event. What if at some point during the evening he broke the group up, the the twenty or so kids that were there, by adults? You know, just just real quickly, we all got in groups of four. Maybe a quick game, maybe a giveaway, maybe a a hello, how are you? But now this adult is having at least a three-minute, minute one three minute one-on-three-minute interaction with those four Okay, we, we took it from far away, me just spraying the hose. You don't know, Mr. Steven, until they're right there. Now I know Matt, and I know Mark, and I know Jake, and I and they connected with an adult. I think they're more likely to come back with this, okay, than just spray the hose. I I just did something. I I don't know what I'm going to do to make that happen, but I'm thinking intentionally now about programming to connect my students with the adults who will then maybe transfer Maybe it's the end of the night, and hey, we just want to thank you for coming, and we, we say something to them, we give them a card, and on the card is maybe five Bible verses to read this week. Hey, on Monday do this, on Tuesday this week, blah, blah, blah. Little things like that. Okay, idea number two. Parents are dropping those kids off at slip and slide. What if I had a couple of youth workers, or what if I'm in the parking lot, and when those parents drop them off, I've got a little goodie bag for parents, and inside there is a devotional for 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 adults, or inside there is information about our youth group and who I am, and and when they pull up, I introduce myself to them, I give them their little good or bad, thank them so much for coming, anything I can ever do for you. Now I've started a little bit of parent ministry by just sticking my head in the door and introducing myself. Does that make sense? It was really easy for me as a youth pastor to complain about ex-parent who just dropped their kid off. But really, they were coming on campus twice a week to drop her off. I just needed to go out there to them. Okay. Once I started going out there, that woman started talking my ear off. All right. I mean, I had to get other people involved. She talked me ear off so bad, but. It was a good opportunity for me to go out there and meet her and, and let her know we don't just care about your daughter, but we care about you as well. The lady lost her job and we could help speak into that. See what I did? I left the youth building, or in this example, the slip and slide, I went to the parking lot, I found the adults and I made a little connection. Now how to get that conversation to the next conversation about her helping her child develop spiritually, that's another bridge i got to cross, but I've already taken the first step now. Tracking with me? So what I'm thinking about is, okay, if a parent is going to be involved in discipleship, but they're not involved in anything now, what is the first step? Maybe I build a relationship so that I can share the gospel. Maybe I look for needs and opportunities in their life so that I can share the gospel. Establishing a little bit of a relationship there. To, to hopefully advance that model. Maybe I discover that the parent has faith of their own, they're just not involved in church right now. So maybe I can say, hey, you know, we do Bible study around here for adults. We'd love to have you come, but, but I tell you, I'm gonna start texting the parents a question following our Bible study lesson on Sunday night. Do you mind if I text you one? Would you mind asking your son this question when he comes home about what he learned? And, and see what I'm doing there? trying to get those parents involved so I've taken it away from just an activity to an an activity that's advancing um, the gospel. Uh, Intentional programming for maximum impact, moderate impact, and so on. So if the maximum impact is kids reading the Bible at home, what do I need to change about my programming that that is my number one objective. Any ideas, any thoughts? Got something? You got got
2: to teach them how to do the Bible. Okay. Teach them how to study it. All right. Um, But there's a difference. I think y'all know that. Uh,
1: What might that look like?
2: What, What it looked like for us was... Busted out like the old hermeneutics book and rolled back through it. Okay. By myself, uh, in particular I'm those principles. Look, Mark will tell you, he's had lunch with, with some of my kids before. If, if I ask him what, what's the most important thing about reading the Bible, what would they do? maybe Mark will tell you. But they all know about this tattoo that I'm going to get on my arm. Good. I'm still getting there. It. Um, and, and it's going to be Leviticus 1928. that says that you won't make a, a mark in your flesh with respect to the dead and it's going to be in the shape of the word context. Uh, because biblical context. You know, just, that's what we need. Uh, read the Bible in context. Read it. Uh, deeply study it. Look at it. You don't just circus level, you know, Sunday school, Just, you know, skimming our teeth, stuff. Uh, so we've, we've taught in high school, in particular, and now we're going to the middle school. We measure our way how to study the level and how to do So it's pretty cool. We do that a lot on Wednesday nights. All that. But I had
1: to teach my how to do one of the fun stuff. Yeah. 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 So uh, 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 anybody else have another idea? Something we've been doing also on Wednesday nights,
4: we'll split into groups, smaller groups, and I have little pieces of paper with questions. They're permanent questions. That I want to become their routine. Okay. So, I, when I study scripture, it, because I've done those questions eventually, I don't have to write them out on a piece of paper, but as we're teaching them, so it's simple things like what what words do you see repeated? Okay. What ideas do you see more okay. than once? Because right? that's going to push us towards what is this text saying? Then I'm going to say, okay, well, what is this? What's confusing about this to you? Okay. What questions do you have? What does this show you about yourself what does this show you about god um, so and i have those and it's easy to set up because each week it's the same questions different passage okay um, so eventually they're learning to ask these questions like when i open the bible i'm like oh hey i noticed these words oh hey i noticed this about god oh hey look at that so you're kind of like Pushing
1: them into that. What are our three questions? Exactly. Yeah. So that okay. when they open scripture, hopefully at home. And what are those three questions? What, what words were you Yeah, repetitions,
4: words or ideas. Repetitions, words or ideas. What's confusing to you? Okay. And then what does this show you about God or yourself or, okay. or life? Okay. That one kind of floats around. Okay. But that seemed to work well, and so each week that we do that, as they get used to those questions, they notice more things. Then it becomes almost like a treasure hunt. And that's kind of what I like about Scripture, is I get to find the it. a treasure then, hunt, yeah. You're like, oh, wow, that connects to Genesis. Yeah. Oh, wow, that connects to Exodus. Look at that. So then it's not just words on a page. It becomes something you can dig into and find, and hopefully make it fun for them as well. That That's
2: worked, I think, pretty well for us. Awesome. The important thing for you is to is to have some sort of life application to what's the What's the practical side of this? Okay, all right, we ran a little bit Guess what? what's that mean? What does that have to do with me where I did? Uh, and give them an opportunity to do that from You know, when it was written 2,000 years ago. A lot of make mistakes, too. I mean, that's that's been a big thing for me to see it. And I, I think men probably I have to make a to problem with it. It, um, you know, lives, like, you know, exactly. We like, see a problem. We see, you know, well, let me let me get in here with my wrenches and my screwdriver nice driver and fix this thing. But if you're thinking wrong. Let me show you how to do it right. We need to let them because that's how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, correct them, but to, to do it gently and allow them to get there without
1: showing them the dust. So, what's really working in student ministry? The uh, last page: small groups. Uh, this includes Sunday school, or let me rephrase that: this couldn't include Sunday school. Sometimes Sunday—I say that because sometimes Sunday school looks like another preaching opportunity, just for another person, and they and and, and you see the Sunday school where you, where you have twelve board faces and one adult who's teaching a lesson. Over and over and over. But if it's truly a small group, then you're cultivating relationships, which is the last uh, blank there. You're cultivating relationships by asking questions. You're breaking down the faith, and that's scary sometimes um, because, like you were saying, you're asking questions or you're or you're revealing questions that you may not necessarily have the answers for at that moment. You know, you're allowing students to ask questions. That 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 may just be. I had a student tell me one time that her grandmother had visions of dead people. Okay, Um, so you never know what kind of questions are going to come up, but you have to kind of open yourself up to them, and that can be very scary, you know, um, when when it happens. And typically, when that kind of thing happens, I say something like, oh, wow, that's cool. I've never heard of that before. You mind if I think about that and read about that and pray about it? Or maybe we can talk about it afterwards? Yeah, I, just kind of, I just kind of have a redirect moment there. But in small groups, we're challenging students uh, to build personal uh, spiritual disciplines. So so small groups are good, but they need to develop practice practical uh, spiritual disciplines in students. If we're just getting together and, and, and loving on each other, um, that not, is not necessarily advancing the ball spiritually in my book. What are we doing to help these kids develop spiritual disciplines outside of the realm? <clears throat> uh, spiritual groups, small groups really, that focus on conversations and discussions. Spiritual groups that cultivate relationships, i.e. Um, build our disciples <clears throat> I, I put those simple questions there that I think every small group leader needs to um, kind of emphasize and know you know what's your name what's your life what's your story and do they know the God it's really been alarming to me as we've interviewed students uh, Christian students in college um, who profess to be a Christian and to ask them you, you know what is what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, to ask them questions like, <clears throat> how do you know you're a Christian? Um, to ask them questions like, How do you know you're a Christian? What if you were standing in what if you're standing in line in heaven right now and St. Peter would say, Why well, should I let in heaven? What would you say? Just any kind of questions that would give you an indicator on where they are spiritually or what they what they understand about salvation. The number one answer is a works based religion. Okay, the number one answer you hear from Christians in college: um, How do you know you're? How do you know someone's a Christian? Um, because they love Jesus and they do good things. That's the number one answer. They love Jesus and they do good things. They love people and they do good things. Those. That's. That's number one and number two. Almost 90% of kids who profess to be Christians say they're a Christian because they love Jesus and they do good things. Um, not much about salvation through grace very seldom will some kids you're interviewing say well i'm a christian because i'm bought by the blood of the lamb and and jesus died for me and and that's all i mean it's it's always something added to that so in these small group discussions in these small group times we're not just talking over kids we're not just preaching at kids but we're beginning to engage with them about these questions of faith and to determine where they are in their relationship with the lord and 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 Are they trusting in themselves for their salvation? Are they truly trusting in Christ? Does that make sense? Please stop me if I am rushing through this to wrap it up before I run out of time. Um, All right, so some things that are really working down at the bottom. Camps. Camps are really working. Um, As some people say, it's a week (laughs) where you starve the flesh and feed the faith. It's a time where you expose the students to these spiritual disciplines, personal disciplines. It's a time where, you, where, they, where they hear the gospel. Uh, it's really working. Mission trips, serving in the church, staff longevity. If you're ever in doubt, pastor or volunteer about if you should stay or if you should leave, remember that longevity um, is, is a determinant. Staff longevity is a determining factor in the will of students stay plugged into their faith they trust you they love you if you leave it has an effect on their life i hate i know there's always i know i know there's reason to leave but if there's equal reason to stay please consider that uh youth friendly pastors pastors who take the time to develop relationships with their students um, those students are more likely to be involved in the faith after um, <coughs> After they graduate, and then finally connecting students with church ministries. Many youth groups, um, many youth groups are very good at raising good youth, okay, but not necessarily at good at raising youth who are involved in other programs in the church. Give your give your kids away, and they'll stay connected to the church. Um, around the junior and senior year, the men's ministry comes raids my youth group and they take my juniors and senior guys and begin to invite them to brotherhood events okay that's the way it is the 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 choir guy or the youth the music minister in our church is always raiding the youth group for kids to sing in the adult choir all right and to help in sound and help in other areas of the church we need to be good about connecting students with other ministries in our church these things to me are things that are really working, really working youth missions events are great loving on students and being present in their life are great but we need to remember that personal spiritual disciplines kids having mentors in their life, kids serving and kids growing through mission trips experience those things are having a great impact any thoughts or questions this is the first time that I've ever given this presentation and I feel like it's a lot of different places right now so I appreciate your patience with all that and if, if, if you leave if you have any questions um, or questions follow-up thoughts throw my email and all back up here on the on the board.